You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Hey, Holly. Hey, Robert. On today's episode, we talk with Dr. Joseph Courier about moral injury, how religion and spirituality can play a role, and how to navigate moral injury for ourselves and others. But first, Holly, how are you this week? I'm doing pretty good. I mean... We yeah. are on the other side of graduation, friend. Yeah. This is, yeah. <laughs> it is good. We're in this like this two week like no man's land zone where it's like classes are done, but the kids are still in school. And so we get to like catch up on the projects before the kids break for school. And like that's where we are right now. So yeah, we're doing all right. How are you doing? Good. Uh, I'm not graduating or anything like that, but mm. I guess neither are you. So that was a nope. dumb thing to say. But uh, <laughs> obviously, uh, some of Brooke's students and stuff like that, like they all have have finished up and things like that. So yeah. she's in kind of debrief mode and the transition into summertime and things like that. Um, mm. uh, conversely, my schedule has picked up a little bit. I've I've had oh, really? uh, a handful huh. of of more clients in the past couple of weeks, but that that's also a positive thing. That um, is a very good thing. Yeah, yeah. that's good. And so uh, you know, just still kind of going along, but but a good week overall. So uh, excited so to be back here talking with you. Yeah, me too. Me too. I was gonna. I, I was considering asking you uh, what the funniest injury you've ever gotten is, but I can't for the life. Oh, I of totally me. have it. No, I got okay, it. I can't I got think it. when you flip it around. I cannot think of a funny injury I've gotten. So maybe yours will spark something in me. So, uh, Holly, let me ask you this: What is mm-hmm. the funniest injury you have you've ever received? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I. I like to think that. Most of my injuries have been humorous. I also give you I – I have two that come to mind, if that's okay. Yeah, I of course. two? Okay. Yeah. So the first one was when I was – oh, my gosh, maybe like eight or seven. Um, I was in gymnastics and um, at practice one night – And I was on the trampoline and I went to like jump, I like jumped up. And then as I was like coming down to like, you know, bounce sitting on my bottom, basically, like my hands went down next to my sides like they would. And I broke a thumb. Like I hit my thumb so hard. Um, Yeah. And I remember my sweet, I mean, my parents, they were doing the best they could as we all are, but they were like, is it really hurt that bad? Like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I need to go to the hospital. And they're like, really? Are you sure? And sure <laughs> enough, we got to the hospital and it was broken. And so to me, that's funny, like that I broke my thumb on a trampoline. But the one that's really funny to me is I, there was one time I was going down a hill on a bike and, um, and it, we were in the woods, like just biking through the woods in upstate New York and my bike hit like a, a tree root and I went flying and I went flying into a big patch of poison ivy. So not only did, you know, my, I don't know, maybe I was like 12 or something. Oh. Not only did I go flying <laughs> off my bike, but then I was covered in poison ivy and that. That was a that was a funny season to uh, heal from. 
Bernie. What are the odds? I'm I'm just know, I'm picturing right? like a slow motion of you like <laughs> flying off your bike, seeing the poison ivy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, goodness. Well, we didn't really realize the poison ivy until after I, I got up and brushed myself sure, off. Yeah, and then it was yeah. like, oh, that's cool. So anyways, yeah, what about nice. you? Yeah, I'm trying to think of I know I said uh, you know, before I asked you, I that was my hesitancy in asking the question was I can't right. think of any. Right. I feel like I uh, I get injured like small injuries a lot in like silly way. Like the like the other day mm-hmm. I was I was carrying Gray and I was going to lay him down on his bed and somehow just like walked into the corner of his bed with my leg for no reason. I walk all the time, oh, right? But I don't you know I do just, it too. Yeah. Stuff like that all the time where Brooke is like, What happened? And I'm like, I don't I don't know. I just out of my leg mm-hmm. hurts now, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe between maybe between your two stories and my no stories, we average out to one each. So <laughs> you can go. borrow mine. Do you want? You are welcome to imagine. So this one time, I was riding up. my bike, yeah. and uh, <laughs> yes, absolutely, it's amazing. Oh yeah. my gosh, I love it. Well, I'm uh, obviously glad that that all your injuries have healed and that you're okay. Me too. Thank you. Uh, speaking of injuries, right? Yes. As I yes. mentioned, this week we talk with Dr. Joseph Courier about moral injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, Holly, give us a little a little snippet of of what we got going on here. Yeah, sure. So um, Dr. Joe Courier is, he's actually a dear friend of mine, and we get to do some research together in this area of religious and spiritual competencies amongst mental health care providers. But he's been doing this work looking at uh, trauma and moral injury for a while now. And in fact, he wrote a book called uh, Trauma, Meaning, and Spirituality, Translating Research into Clinical Practice, as well as the one that we're going to be that we are going to be focusing on in this episode, which is addressing moral injury in clinical practice. Um, so within this episode, you know, uh, Dr. Courier walks us through a little bit about what moral injury is and what it isn't, recognizing ways in which moral injury intersects with trauma and grief and shame. And we talk about the role of faith uh, within moral injury. And yeah, I, I just adore Joe in general, but I really, for as much as I get to work with him on the religious and spiritual competencies research, it was really fun to get to learn from him specifically when it comes to thinking about moral injury and what it is and why we need to be thinking about it as, you know, mental health care providers, faith leaders, or those who are walking alongside others who have experienced moral injury along the way. Yeah, I loved getting to meet Joe. I did find it quite funny that uh, his. I went to add things into the show notes earlier, and the book right addressing moral injury and clinical uh, yeah. practice uh-huh. is listed on Amazon as having released in 1920. So yeah. some fresh, up to date <laughs> information here. Yes, uh, but yes. no, I, I I thought it was uh, a great conversation. I'm excited for for our listeners to hear it as well. Yeah, me too. Well, just to clarify, y'all, this, it was supposed to be 2020, so we're going to have to <laughs> let Joe know about that one. But um, yeah. That's how we, we'll, we'll tell if he, because he said he listens to the show. That's right. We'll find oh, out if he listens right. to this one if he ends up fixing it. Although that's maybe right. he won't because he's on it. I never listen to ones that I'm on because it weirds mm-hmm. me out. But yeah, we will get out of the way and let y'all listen to our conversation about moral injury with Dr. Joseph Courier. All right. Enjoy, y'all. Welcome back. Today, we have Dr. Joe Courier on, who is a licensed psychologist and who serves as an associate professor at the University of South Alabama. 
His research focuses on trauma and moral injury, spiritually integrated approaches to mental health care, and other topics related to applied psychology of religion and spirituality. His work has been funded by SAMHSA, the John Templeton Foundation, and Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And he's also co-authored two books with the American Psychological Association Press, one being Trauma, Meaning, and Spirituality, Translating Research into Clinical Practice, and the second being Addressing Moral Injury in Clinical Practice, which we're going to be talking about today. He also serves as Clinical Director for the Veterans Recovery Resources in Mobile, Alabama. Joe, I'm so glad to see you and have you on. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm, I'm doing okay. Uh, we did have some tech issues getting up and running, but uh, <laughs> my heart is starting to decrease in, in beats. Mm. And, um, I'm grateful to be here. That's awesome. We are so grateful to have you here today. Is there anything that we missed in your fancy bio there that you want to share? Well, I, I, you didn't state that I'm an avid listener to, uh, to, to CXMH, and um, I benefit greatly from this podcast. It's one of a handful of podcasts that I listen to pretty regularly. So both as a, as a professional psychologist, but also as a person of faith who's attempting to, you know, to bridge this gap in my own church and in my own community, you know, I get a lot of you know, wonderful insights and suggestions from this podcast. Oh, well, we are super honored that you are a listener yeah. of the show. That means a lot to us, especially knowing your expertise and the good work that you are doing in this area. So it is about time for us to bring you on the show. And I'm <laughs> glad that we finally <laughs> had this opportunity to bring you on. Well, let's. Um, so I had mentioned that we're going to be focusing a little bit on that second book that you wrote, which is Addressing Moral Injury in Clinical Practice. So if you wouldn't mind, do you mind telling us a little bit about what led you to focus, you know, th this work that you've been doing on moral injury? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, for, for as long as I can remember, even before I decided to be a psychologist, you know, I've had very deep interests in kind of theology and kind of spiritual existential dimensions of suffering. And I completed my you know, PhD training in the mid to late 2000s, mm -hmm. um, you know, at which time, you know, the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, you know, had been well underway. You know, when I reflect back, you know, to my doctoral training, um, I, I knew that I wanted to do work that really mattered and that was going to make a tangible difference and would ideally respond to, you know, one of our society's urgent problems at the time. Wasn't quite sure where uh, my professional journey was going to lead me, but somewhere along the way, you know, I was given an opportunity to to do a kind of an extra external practicum, you know, at you know our mm -hmm. uh, kind of city's uh, VA medical center. You know, I had a chance to you know to work in the PTSD outpatient clinic before you know the first waves of Iraq Afghanistan veterans were separating from the the military and rolling in. You know, VA healthcare at the time worked primarily with Vietnam era veterans and just really fell in love with, you know, the population, the stories I was hearing, you know, the depth and quality of work that we were able to do. And then, you know, within, you know, about a year or two, you know, we were um, needing to, to shift to um, working with Iraq Afghanistan veterans, which has, you know, been you know, a big part of my interest, you know, so it's really, really from clinical encounters 
with veterans um, that this population really captured my heart and um, I've been spending a lot of my time, you know, working with veterans in particular ever since. That's awesome. Yeah. And clearly, as I mentioned, you you're continuing to work with the VA, Mm -hmm. it sounds Mm -hmm. like. So that's Mm -hmm. wonderful. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for for folks that are listening and say, okay, the term moral injury, right? I've never heard that term or I'm not super familiar with it, right? Could you maybe define, you know, what is moral injury? What isn't moral injury? Those types of things? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it sounds a bit anticlimactic for me to say that we don't really know what moral injury is right now. <laughs> um, yeah, at least within uh, mental health professions, like we currently do not have a consensus definition of what moral injury is. We don't have a sort of a single unifying framework, you know, for how we're going to conceptualize kind of moral injury going forward. You know, I think there's broad consensus that moral injury, you know, captures the emotional, relational, physical, spiritual, existential dimensions of events that profoundly disrupt or violate our deeply held moral beliefs and values. Okay. Mm. You know, so w- within that, you know, there, there can be you know, a couple forms, you know, of moral injury that might emerge depending on the type of event that an individual encountered or was involved in. You know, so I think the work on moral injury really began to, you know, to gain traction, you know, with, you know, the, the recent wars in Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, in which uh, many men and women were returning home and needing to come to terms with horrific events, traumas, where they felt as though they were somehow responsible for perpetrating violence or suffering on others. You know, so there can be, you know, what we would call kind of perpetration based moral injury, you know, which is, you know, often, you know, at least right now, you know, seems to be, you know, defined by, you know, deep shame and guilt um, over what you did or what you were not able to do. Um, And then, you know, there can be events where, you know, another person was somehow responsible for moral wrongdoing. You know, we're, we're generally referring to, you know, these this form of moral injury as a betrayal based moral injury. Mm. You know, so depending on, you know, the moral agent or the person who, you know, was deemed responsible, you know, for the, you know, the event, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing kind of different kind of symptom presentations, you know, that correspond with different types of events. So right there, you're talking a lot, and I know you work a lot with veterans, mm-hmm. right? In Absolutely. terms of that, but I'm curious, because I assume there's a also a you know a broader way of, of looking at that with other populations, right? Mm-hmm. So are there other examples that maybe you know where we might see this play out or or appear in non-veteran populations? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so the I think you know over recent years, I think the the concept of moral injury is really proliferating broadly. You know, not just among mental health professionals, but among ministry professionals, philosophers, you know, many other fields. Before we talk about other populations, I think it is important to highlight that there are some unique aspects of military service, mm-hmm. right? You know, so mm-hmm. if, if you find yourself serving in a, in a war zone environment, there's, there's going to be a greater probability that perpetration-based moral injuries are going to occur, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, but in thinking about like how the concept of moral injury might apply to civilian traumas, I think we're finding you know, with first responders, you know, for example, that moral injury could be a really helpful framework 
Um, you know, so in our you know veterans recovery resources clinic, we're working with a lot of first responders, people who serve paramedics, you know, fire and rescue workers, uh, law enforcement. Generally, what we're finding, you know, in these situations is that the the events that haunt people the most are not necessarily about things that they did or other people did. It's the things that they weren't able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so what we would you know sort of refer to like kind of events of omission, right? That encountering you know terrible suffering and disorder and not being able to fully restore justice or healing or restoration in all circumstances. So I think you know. First responders, I think we're also, you know, learning from the the COVID pandemic that healthcare professionals are often put in highly precarious moral situations where they, you know, sometimes, you know, are not feeling deeply supported by their institutions or organizations. You know, so I think healthcare professionals is another another population where the, the concept seems to be really helpful. People working, you know, in corrections or prison settings are beginning to, you know, to find use out of the concept as well. But really, anytime, you know, there's an interpersonal trauma where one person traumatizes another person, there is an inevitable inherent moral dimension of these events, right? And, you know, so I think in in these ways, I think moral injury can be helpful for interpersonally mediated traumas in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right there, you, you even mentioned there being some overlap with maybe some conceptualizations of trauma and uh, things like survivor's guilt or some of these other things, right? What's What do you find helpful and kind of distinct about the way that you're conceptualizing kind of moral injury as, as kind of a, a framework? Well, historically, like mental health professions, similar to religion and spirituality, mental health professions have really steered away from morality, issues of morality, mm. right? So I think... I think that the concept of, of moral injury is really helpful in explaining, you know, the potential kind of maladaptive consequences of kind of really, really painful kind of moral emotions and mm-hmm. cognitions that, you mm-hmm. know, can lead to, you know, sometimes like really severe chronic forms of suffering, you know, in people's mm-hmm. lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds, I mean, that makes sense. It sounds like there is a, dis, a distinctness. I'm glad you brought up the religion spirituality piece because mm-hmm. I'm going to go there next. So, yeah. um, but it does sound like there's, there's almost like an umbrella where trauma is, is holding the, I don't know if trauma is holding this, but like mm-hmm. there's, there is layers of trauma, there's layers of grief that overlap and then moral injury, it almost like a Venn diagram is another layer or piece that is necessary to consider, especially Mm -hmm. in light of the specific types of trauma that folks are experiencing or the specific events that they've had to navigate, that it's not just a generalized trauma. It's not a generalized type of grief, but there is really this area of morality that we have to dig deeper into and assess and ask about Mm -hmm. that if we don't do that, we're really not going to be able to heal the trauma or the grief. No, Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely not. That you know, that morality is more than just right and wrong. You know, mm-hmm. I, think, you know, I mean, there 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 are often kind of assumptions about what's right, what's not wrong, what's wrong. But you know, fundamentally, morality is is what holds human relationships and human communities together, mm-hmm. right? You know, so you know, at the heart of moral injury, you know, for for many people is you know is 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 either you know just a sense that one's moral compass has somehow been 
you know, seriously, deeply damaged where, you know, Mm -hmm. someone does not feel as though they can manage the social moral demands of being in community, you know, with other people, Um, you know, which often then leads to extreme isolation, shame, resentment, anger, um, substance abuse, suicide. Um, So it, it takes people away from, you know, our culturally sanctioned sources of meaning and belonging, you know, that we all sort of need to live and to breathe as human beings. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it is a kind of a whole different dimension, even as I'm listening, right? I'm less familiar with your work than Holly mm-hmm. is. And so I'm, I'm thinking about like, man, that's not a thing that I often bring into work. Uh, maybe some some instances with clients in terms of kind of identity work, right? Like, oh, does X thing happen? Does that mean I'm a bad person or, or yeah. something like that? But kind of framing it or like even just the, the term of kind of moral injury is so interesting. It's, it is kind of this like, additional dimension that obviously does factor into things like identity and connectedness and, you know, do I belong in a, in a functioning society, you know, like all mm-hmm. that type of stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And even as you were talking, you know, I know I had mentioned like trauma and grief, but obviously shame would be one of those other little Venn diagrams that mm-hmm. overlaps with mm-hmm. moral injury for sure. Well, I, I do want to circle back. I know you had mentioned very briefly about how religion and spirituality are an area in, you know, the mental health fields that we kind of steer away from mm-hmm. a lot of times. I know you and I are trying to do some research in that mm-hmm. to hopefully change that ship. Um, but I do want to hear about the role of religion and spirituality in moral injury. Like, how does this show up? What does this look like? Um, I'm sure it's not necessarily a specific faith-based or a specific affiliation-based, but like, how does this intersect? How does spirituality and religion intersect with moral injury? Well, I think that's a really, really complex sort of question. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) You've got five minutes. Go. My favorite two two words as a psychologist are, um, it depends. Um, Uh (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, uh, but... Yeah, so I, I think it's you know just like you know kind of like other um, kind of clinical concepts or kind of mental health conditions. You know, we we could be talking about depression. We could be talking about you know PTSD. You know, not everybody w- will incorporate you know their their faith or their spirituality, right? Yeah. You know, so I think it, it depends a, a lot on you know the individual's um, kind of cultural background, right? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in my work, you know, with, with veterans in particular, particularly kind of post 9-11 era veterans, um, I mean, there's a there's an increasing trend within our society for people to participate less in formal religious communities or to identify less with organized religions. Um, for many people who have been you know, traumatized by another person, particularly if that person was a th- an authority figure, um, you know, they might, you know, you know, have, have gone through, you know, a period of, of great existential spiritual suffering that led to a loss of faith, you know, or, or, or potential anger, you know, or mm-hmm. hostility toward God or, 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 or religious institutions, right? You know, so the, the topic of faith or spirituality can often be a painful one, you know, for people, right? So as a clinician, I, I generally, you know, work within my clients' cultural beliefs and values and you know, and, and if they are, are not viewing moral injury as a spiritual or religious problem, I tend to to follow their lead. Um, I think there, you know, there, there are some ways to take implicit approaches, you know, to address it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, we have learned, you know, from our research that a large number of folks, you know, do um, experience deep spiritual struggles along with moral injury. Um, and for many of them, you know, faith spirituality can be part of the solution to healing and change, you know, in their lives. Mm-hmm. Does it does it also factor in in terms, obviously, you know, particularly all three of us are in the United States here uh, and, you know, it probably varies. But so much of our culture, the what we would say, you know, kind of our morality does stem either specifically or just broadly from our religious spirituality beliefs or just like the cultures at large kind of ties with that. Uh, does that factor in as well in terms of like if I'm considering you know, my morality as a human being, if it's tied to that, then can that also be kind of a complicated, you know, that, that informing that side? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I think particularly here in the United States, like religion, you know, has a huge role in the formation of, 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 of a moral belief system. Right. You know, so when, you know, when, when, when people experience moral injury, it, it, it often will shake their faith. Right. Mm, um, yeah. You know, I think what we're what we're learning, um, you know, in in our research is that that many of the folks, um, you know, who 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 are morally injured, if they they tend to often kind of have the highest levels of religious commitment before they encounter the morally injurious event. Mm. You know, so we're finding, you know, that there there can be kind of certain ways of religiousness that increase the risk, you know, for, uh, for, mm-hmm. for being morally injured, you uh-huh. know, for example, um, depending on where somebody is at in, you know, his or her faith development, um, if they see the world in, in kind of black and white sort of terms and, and right or wrong, and that, you know, I mean, oftentimes it can be difficult, you know, to really make meaning and come to terms, you know, with, with a morally injurious event. Yeah, that that makes sense, especially with that black and white thinking, if you know, for those who have not maybe had as much exposure or experience with the gray and leaning into some of that messiness, it may be really hard when uh, and jarring, I would think, to then be pushed into that place of experiencing a moral injury and being like, I have never had to think about being in this in-between space or this gray space and wrestle with all of the religious layers that are mm-hmm. tied in with that and, you know, what my higher power thinks and what my faith community is going to think and mm-hmm. what my loved ones, I mean, all of that. I can totally see how that would be really difficult for those who have more of that black and white thinking. No, absolutely. Well, what, so, so we certainly, you know, this has been helpful kind of thinking about the role of religion and spirituality, but I, I would be curious how it, for those who are listening, who, you know, maybe a mental health care provider or are in, you know, some form of ministry field of some kind, how could these individuals help someone who is struggling with moral injury or who has been morally injured? Yeah, that's a that's a wonderful question. Um, well, I, I would encourage people to check out our book. <laughs> um, it's, yes. it's, 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 it's a big thing that, that, that we do focus on in our book. Yeah, so I, I think it's you know important you know, to highlight that you know mental health professionals like myself, you know, and uh, kind of ministry professionals, they can serve kind of many of the 
kind of shared kind of healing kind of functions in people's lives, but they also can, you know, play very, very different roles. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so I think, you know, mm-hmm. whether we're talking about mental health professionals or ministry professionals, I think uh, people who are experiencing moral injury, like they, they need people you know, in their lives, you know, who can be, you know, a, just a, a compassionate, faithful presence, you know, for them, mm-hmm. you know, who can provide, you know, a relationship where, you know, there's, there's safety and trust um, where, you know, gradually, you know, kind of over time, you know, they may feel, you know, the freedom, you know, to, to really share the heart of the matter, you know, that I've, I've learned, you know, from, you know, my work with veterans that, you know, that oftentimes, um, even when, you know, people will um, kind of take the step to, to come and see someone like me, they often, you know, are planning not to talk about <laughs> the, yeah. the, the moral injury. So, so, yeah. so being able to, you know, to cultivate, you know, you know, a, a certain type of relationship, you know, I think is, is, is really, 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 really important. Um, you know, I think for, for mental health professionals, you know, I have a strong commitment, you know, to relying on um, kind of evidence-based practices, you know, in my work. And, you know, I think mm-hmm. right now you know, we have I mean, a pretty solid set of what I would consider kind of evidence-informed or emerging practices, you know, for mm-hmm. treating moral injury, um, many of which, you know, are described, you know, in, in the book that we, uh, we published recently. You know, but right now, um, you know, in the absence of a consensus definition for moral injury, there's there's no like single treatment that this is what you need to do, <laughs> you know, to treat moral mm-hmm. injury. Um, yeah. And I, I, I don't and, and I, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that ultimately, like we will need, you know, sort of a menu of kind of approaches that are helpful. You know, so as far as like mental health professionals go, I mean, I think there's a couple different approaches that people are taking, you know, so some people are kind of drawing on existing practices for PTSD or depression and like trying to say, okay, well, how can I apply this and adapt this Mm -hmm. to be helpful with um, kind of morally injured folks, you know, and then there are some folks who are, you know, developing some, some pretty innovative new approaches, you know, to moral injury, you know, as well. Um, That's good. I think um, for, you know, for, for ministry professionals, you know, they really have, you know, just a treasure trove of, you know, resources that they can draw on, you know, to, to possibly, you know, support somebody, you know, who is, you know, coming yeah. to terms with a moral injury. You know, so I think what, what, what people don't want to do is, you know, to offer false reassurance, right, yeah. or to try to yeah. get people to move to, uh, to forgiveness too quickly, you know, so I know that you've, you, you've dealt with the topic of, you know, spiritual bypassing. Yeah. I was know, just your... thinking that we had, yeah. yeah, we had our friend Jesse Fox on yeah, to talk absolutely. about that. You know, mm-hmm. so um, you don't want to, you know, collude with, you know, a spiritual bypassing, you know, so what that means is I think for, for many people who experience a moral injury, they may have well done something that was wrong. Right. And the worst thing that we can do mm-hmm. is to try and minimize that. Um, right. Yeah. So it's like just kind of making space yeah. for people to, um, you know, to experience moral pain, you know, and to relate with yeah. that moral pain in a way that, you know, can truly lead to healing and restoration rather than isolation and chronic suffering. Yeah. yeah. You know, so for, I think for ministry professionals, I think one, I mean, just providing, you know, compassionate, you know, faithful relationships, 
Um, I think there's um, within any tradition that people are are working in, you know, there are a range of, you know, what I would call theodicies, you know, or, or philosophies of suffering that are not, you know, necessarily like panaceas that aren't going to make, you know, it's, it's like, I think, you know, and oftentimes, you know, these, these theodicies, they make room for mystery. They make room for, for ambiguity. Um, right. But giving, giving people um, kind of theological kind of religious frameworks where they can kind of make room for the reality of suffering in their life alongside, you know, the possibility for hope and, you know, the existence of a loving, powerful God or higher power. Yeah. I think those would be some of the, I think some of the strategies that I would suggest. Yeah. You were even, uh, you mentioned suffering a bunch of times. And as you were talking, it reminded me some of our conversation with the Van Tongerens on suffering as well Mm -hmm. in terms of, Mm in like kind of the the nighttime darkness of it, not trying to rush people through that. And mm-hmm. then kind of coming out the other side of that, of kind of refiguring out, okay, what, what are the established rules or boundaries or, yeah. or moral understandings, right? Mm-hmm. If it's not, if I was starting from, you know, it's black and white, like good people do good things, bad people do bad things. And then here's this thing that kind of throws it off, not rushing through that, but then having to kind of figure out, okay, well then what, what, what is the reality of it? And what does that mean for me moving forwards in terms of kind of coming back out of that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think another thing too, um, and, and this is something that I, I've, I've, I have enjoyed, you know, on your podcast, you've, you've dealt with in the past is having, having communities, you know, that acknowledge, you know, the reality of suffering and injustice. Yes. Yes. Right. You know, so yes. you know, I think personally, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be part of a community, you know, where, um, Suffering is, it's mentioned in the sermons, you know, on Sunday, it's mentioned in um, the songs that we sing, you know, week after week, you know, that there's just, there's an acknowledgement, you know, that, um, you know, that suffering is part of human existence, that horrifically bad things happen, right? Um, Mm -hmm. It's just kind of making room for that, you know, I think is, 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 you know, is really important. Yeah. No, that's good. I actually, as just as you're talking about that, I know the the community that our family has been going to for a, a while now. I mean, the 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 songs of lament that mm-hmm. are sung, as compared mm-hmm. to the songs of you know just straight dopamine worship, yeah. like you know, <laughs> um, it's been you know it's it's been it's been really helpful. I feel like for our whole family, just having that, those space for those songs of lament and to be regularly singing them and, you know, not to avoid or ignore the good and the worship, because that is absolutely part of it too, but not only staying in that space of just the positive, but being able to hold space for the, the suffering as you were just alluding to and mentioning, is just so important. So yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that, especially within a community. Yeah, we regularly joke, you know, in our community that um, we always got to have about half the songs in a minor key, you know, every <laughs> week. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and they bring out, they, and then and then when we when when we do when we do sing the songs of joy and triumph, um, they mm-hmm. mean more. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's exactly right. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. 
So what about for individuals, right? Say uh, some loved ones or friends or family, right? Like are, are navigating some of this. What could kind of my role in that be in terms of obviously, as we say, not like, you know, instant fixing it, but in helping someone kind of heal and, and navigate through uh, a moral injury type event? I, th- I think many of the same principles that we've talked about apply, you know, so mm-hmm. um, I think just being, you know, just a, a faithful, compassionate presence, you know, maintaining maintaining the connection with people you know i think is 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 really really important mm. you know not not pushing people you know to to heal too quickly but at the same time you know you know trying to encourage people to live as well as they possibly can mm. right i think you know th- there is a role to play you know for um kind of knowing knowing you know where to um you know to refer a loved one you know, if they are going mm-hmm. through, um, you know, a possible moral injury. I think one of the things that we didn't talk about, you know, kind of earlier, um, you know, is I think the importance of kind of being able to, you know, to think about moral injury, you know, on a broader continuum of kind of moral stressors and kind of possible kind of consequences of those stressors, you know, right. You know, so, you know, by, you know, by the term moral injury, you know, we're really kind of capturing kind of instances in which, you know, someone, you know, was, you know, confronted with, you know, a perceived act of moral wrongdoing in a really high stakes situation where there was the possibility of, of death or injury. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, with that said, like, I think, I think we're learning, you know, from the pandemic that, moral distress is it's, it's an ever present part of life. Mm-hmm. Right. So as, as, right. as loved ones, you know, so for yeah. example, like every time I turn on the news, like I am confronted with children starving in a third world country, even though we have, you know, enough, right. all the food to feed everyone in the world. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and the list goes on and on and on. Right. You know, I think as loved ones, you know, being able you know, I mean, to, to differentiate a bit between, you know, what a moral injury might be and what is, you know, what is moral distress. And if you see, you see a loved one, you know, engaging in severe, you know, social isolation where they're breaking ties, you know, with, with, with all people where, you know, they're, 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 they're seeming to kind of sabotage, you know, fulfillment, you know, and meaning in life, abusing alcohol or drugs, mm-hmm. um, possible kind of thoughts, you know, or kind of behaviors, you know, um, of self-harm, you know, where they're, they're hurting mm-hmm. their, themselves, you know, these would be, you know, warning signs that, you know, that connecting somebody with um, professional resources in one's community could be really, really helpful. Yeah. That's... Right. And then in the absence, you know, of these really severe warning signs, just, recognizing, you know, the important role that that loved ones can play in transforming kind of moral distress, you know, into, you know, possible amends making and and transformation. That's good. I think especially that focus that you had on like the resources and perhaps, you know, and be obviously being available and being um, walking alongside this individual, it certainly circles back to what you were talking about around the emphasis on community and, uh, you know, steering away from isolation and separation from community and loved ones. And, you know, as loved ones can continue to, to walk alongside, connect 
their loved one who's struggling with the resources they need and more. I think that makes perfect sense. And it's within, you know, our, our ability, um, you know, especially as loved ones, you know, for those who are not trained mental health care providers or, um, you know, they're, it's, it's just good to have those resources of the folks who are trained and can Mm -hmm. help walk alongside and help heal from this. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, I am curious too. So, you know, we have talked a lot about the role, the importance of community. Is, Is there anything specific that you would mention around the role of churches or spiritual communities in fostering moral repair? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think for, 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 for many people, you know, particularly, you know, folks, you know, um, for whom faith or spirituality is important, right? That it's, it's, it's important as, you know, as, as a possible resource for healing. You know, it's also a port, important enough to struggle with, right? And to hold on to. You know, I think that churches you know, and faith communities, you know, are, are, are really going to be a primary place where moral repair happens, you know, for, for mm. many people, you know, right. So, you know, so I think communities like they, they, I mean, they need to cultivate a culture, you know, that will allow um, people experiencing a moral injury, you know, to continue to stay connected and to participate. Right. You know, so, you know, we mentioned before, you know, making sure that there is an acknowledgement of, you know, the reality of suffering and that there are not yeah. kind of easy answers you know, that are given. Yes. Right. Oh my gosh. I, um, yes. I had a, yes. I had a, uh, my, my family has, has, we, we, we have spent, you know, a, a fair amount of our time kind of in between a couple different traditions, one of which is um, Anglicanism. And I, I once had an Anglican priest, you know, who, who made the comment to me that his, his ministry um, strictly aimed to, to help people prepare for death and suffering. Hmm. Right. So even when you're working with children or teen, like people, when life is going well, like you're always trying to help people, you know, to root down into deep, deep relationships, connections with other people that you're, you're helping people, you know, to, you know, to really understand the core truths and, you know, ideas of their tradition. You're helping people to develop practice, spiritual, daily spiritual practices, right? And like, even in the face of kind of all of these resources, there are certain events that are really going to shake and rock, you know, one's yeah. world, mm-hmm. right? So it doesn't mean that this is like a panacea to, you know, to protect people from suffering, but it will help prepare people to suffer well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I do think, you know, it's important for, you know, for churches and faith communities to, uh, I don't want to say embrace, you know, a trauma-informed care model, but to draw on certain principles of trauma-informed care. You know, so for example, I, I think that uh, transparency and leadership, you know, uh-huh. on the part of, you know, is, is, is really, really key, right? That there's, you know, that, that for many traditions, there's going to be an inherent in authority structure and that, that that's okay. But, you know, you can still have, you know, transparency and leadership. You can have clear, clear communication, you know, right. You know, that I think that these, these are the, you know, the, the, the types of sort of principles that will allow churches to cultivate, you know, communities where people with moral injury can really stay connected and heal. Yeah. I think, um, I, I mean, I would say every church or faith community, um, 
you know, needs to have, um, you know, a crisis plan, you know, in the event that, um, that there was, you know, a, a terrible trauma, you know, or someone was, mm-hmm. was, was really struggling or someone in the church maybe perpetuated a wrong, right? Just making sure that there are procedures in place to deal with these events, right? Where, where, where it no longer becomes a choice or like, let's scratch our heads and wonder what we're going to do here, but that there's a clear procedure for the community to follow. You know, that I think that that can provide, you know, tremendous safety, you know, for people who have experienced moral injury or other types of trauma. Yeah. As well. yeah. yeah, that's, that's helpful. I mean, even as you're talking, I appreciated how you elevated um, the transparency from the faith leaders. Mm-hmm. And um, I think one just clarifying thought, just maybe you could speak to this um, briefly too, would be, you know, certainly we want faith leaders to be able to communicate and show that they are humans too, that they Mm -hmm. suffer and that they struggle and that they're the human condition is not something that any of us can hop out of. It is Mm -hmm. what we all carry and what we all Mm -hmm. have to navigate. I, I have seen um, faith leaders do that really well. And I have seen faith leaders who will uh, try to do the transparency, but they're speaking from like gaping wounds. And mm-hmm. I think the that importance for some of the healing work to be occurring is Absolutely. important and for it to not to be processed with the community. Or on the other hand, I've also seen faith leaders who will speak out of like, we're trying to be transparent, but really it's like, it's performative. Mm-hmm. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, you really, um, you know, so I think there's an important principle that, um, you know, if you're a leader and you're going to speak about your own um, kind of history of, of, of suffering and possible trauma, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you need to speak from your, your, your scars and not your wounds, right? That, this, that you need to do your own work um, and, and you really need to believe it, right? And mm-hmm. I think... Part, you know, particularly for people who are experiencing a moral injury, you know, oftentimes, you know, issues of trust, you know, are at the heart of the matter and they can sniff out a yes. disingenuine authority oh figure gosh, from, yes. from, you know, from a mile away. Yes. Right. You know, so I think you know, you, they really need to believe it. Um, it. It can't be pro forma. I mean, absolutely. You know, and, and I do think I, I do think there is a role to play, you know, in, you know, in authenticity and transparency, you know, but but recognizing that, you know, that in some ways, like authenticity and transparency is necessary for, mm-hmm. for faith leaders, but it's not sufficient. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. They, yeah. you know, they need to bring more than just their authenticity, you know, to the role. And that's that's, I think, for me, where you know, really drawing on, you know, one's tradition and one's, you know, sacred text and just, you know, and just, you know, just the rich histories, you know, and systems of theology and philosophy that are in place. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so good. Uh, I do. I, cause I, I know that for the phrase, right? Like speak from your scars, not from your wounds. And just to add a, uh, again, like a kind of clarifying thing, uh, I think what you were talking about is primarily like to the people you're leading, right? Yes. Hopefully you also are cultivating your own community absolutely. that you can talk about, you know, just because yes. I know sometimes that gets. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, um, you know, faith leaders have a really, really hard job. Right. You know, so yeah. I would say as, mm-hmm. as a psychologist, yeah. you know, yes. and I, I spend, you know, I spend a full day a week, 
you know, providing therapy, you know, for, you know, for people you're experiencing moral injury or dealing with other types of trauma. So I, when, when I, when I go, you know, to our gathering on Sunday, like I really need to heal. Right. But then recognizing that faith leaders are also hearing stories and, you know, they're, you know, encountering, you know, human suffering and, you know, they're, they're put in really difficult situations. So um, they, they need people that they can speak with as well. Yeah, For sure. That's good. Yeah. Well, I know, obviously, you've done lots of research on this. You've co-authored at least one book primarily around this. Uh, and so one thing we love to ask people, right, is what what is your hope for the work that you're doing, uh, maybe particularly around moral injury, but just in general, right? Like, what is your hope for this work? I mean, I think that ultimately, um, you know, that we would elevate the quality of care, you know, that's available for people, you know, who are experiencing a moral injury. You know, I think I really got I really got interested in this work and really felt you know sort of called into this work, you know from you know encountering veterans you know who you know were, were I mean it was dec- decades after you know they had served you know in Vietnam for example and they were still they were still struggling they were still mm. I mean they and and, and 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 they were suffering greatly and. In many of those cases, like I, I wasn't equipped. I didn't have a framework myself for how to be helpful, you know. And I think that the moral injury, you know, framework really can kind of help people to take, you know, a clear, broader, deeper understanding of what really drives suffering, you know, in cases of trauma. Um, you know, so I think yeah. elevating the quality of care, you know, for folks, and then you know, I think from there. You know, I think really, you know, sensitizing, informing uh, religious and ministry leaders, churches, you know, to be able to cultivate the types of communities where people can really heal and recover. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, that's so good. I'm so grateful for your heart in this work, Joe. It is just such a gift. Well, friends, if you want to connect with Dr. Courier, you can find his faculty webpage and his email address in the show notes. You can also pick up his book, Addressing Moral Injury in Clinical Practice, uh, wherever you buy your books. You can connect with Robert at robert-bohr.com or on any social media at Robert Bohr, or you can connect with me at hollyoxhandler.com or on any social media at hollyoxhandler. Joe, do you have any, first of all, Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. This really was a gift and I'm so, I'm so grateful that I get to work alongside you with some of the research that we do, but man, what a gift it was to get to just sit back and listen to you and just learn from you. So thank you again for joining us today. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? Um, Well, I I hope that today's podcast was helpful and it was, it was an honor to, to be with you today. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMH podcast at gmail.com.